Alright, we are in Acts chapter 24, and I want you to notice what it says in verse 14, "...but this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And today we are going to talk about the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. This doctrine is also referred to in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 2. It says of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead. This is another foundational doctrine and it is very important that we understand it. And a lot of confusion is out there today on this subject of the resurrection of the dead because of a lot of uh, you know prophecy preachers from the last 50, 60 years that have really distorted a lot of things. And we're going to talk about some of that. But there is coming a day when the dead will be raised again. Not just the saved. We just sang about the saved rising, but there is also a resurrect. Every person who has ever lived and has died someday is going to rise again from the dead. There is a resurrection of the just. That's what we're looking for. That's what we just sang about. But there is also a resurrection of the unjust. That is not a pleasant event. That is an event that we will actually talk more about next week because in Hebrews 6.2, the last one it mentions is also eternal judgment. And so we're going to be talking about that next week. Sorry, we're talking about hell. And that's something that's very important that we talk about. That is a foundational doctrine. But there is a resurrection coming. John 5.26 says, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There is a resurrection of life. There is a resurrection of damnation. Now, just as a side note, again, next week we're talking about eternal judgment. The fact that there is a resurrection of life that is permanent shows us too that there is a resurrection of damnation that is also permanent. What is the point of a resurrection and to eternal judgment and it's annihilation. That doesn't really make sense. We're going to raise them up just to put them right back down. That doesn't really make any sense. No, it is. And it's a terrible thought. It's a terrible thought, but it's true. And we'll talk more about that next week. But when it comes to the resurrection of the dead, we can find a clear distinction in the scriptures. It's there between the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And we'll show you that. But here's what you cannot find in the scriptures. Okay. And that is any evidence of multiple resurrections for the believers. And any attempt to prove different resurrection is all done on the assumption that people are right in their eschatology. Because you have a lot of people teaching a lot of different coming resurrections. And that is, it's just not in the Scriptures. In fact, it's contrary in the Scriptures. But what people are doing is they're forcing extra resurrections into the Scriptures so it, you know, it will fit their theology. We shouldn't do that. 
Because I'm telling you, we all we see in the scriptures is a resurrection of the just and the unjust. A resurrection to eternal life and a, a resurrection to eternal damnation. That's what we see in the Bible. And, uh, and when we add these things in there, we're adding to the scriptures. We should not do this. Whenever we talk of, or look at passages talking about the resurrection, the burden of proof is on them to prove this is not the resurrection that takes place at the coming of the Lord, or as many would call it, the rapture. Any attempt to prove more is just a defense of one's own timeline. That's all it is. We, and you know, we just, we all might be wrong about some things. Sometimes we just need to recognize that. So some things I want to point out about this doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is, and there's a reason we don't call the coming of Christ the resurrection anymore. There's a reason everybody wants to call it the rapture instead. Because if I can use an extra biblical term, I can put whatever definition I want on that term. If I use a biblical term, then I have to, it's, it's a lot harder for me to not make it fit what the Bible is defining. Because the Bible often defines itself. And so people, because they're wrong in their eschatology and in their timelines... They use these extra biblical terms that by themselves might not be bad, but it's how they define them that's a problem. And I believe what's coming, the event of 1 Thessalonians 4 where the dead in Christ rise, the event of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, that is what the Bible calls the resurrection. The Bible makes no distinction between or show multiple resurrections of the saved. Okay, it, it doesn't do that. You say, oh, there's a bunch of resurrections in the Bible. Hang on a second. Don't want to get ahead of myself. But Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. Why is that? Is he the first one ever rise from the dead? Well, here's the thing. Everyone who ever rose from the dead before Christ died again later. You know why? Because they did. They had a temporary resurrection. The resurrection that Jesus had is one that we are going to have someday where this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Nobody has had that resurrection other than Jesus. So there is the resurrection of Christ, and after Christ, they that are, uh, they that are Christ at His coming. So the real resurrection is at the coming of Christ. The resurrection of the just is at the coming of Christ. Any attempt to force another resurrection for the just in there is only an attempt to defend one's timeline. You cannot display that from Scriptures. You can't do that. It is only an assumption based on the possibility of you being right. And maybe you're just wrong when it comes to your timeline of things. And so, first thing, when it comes to the resurrection of the dead, this is, this is a foundational doctrine and one that has always been believed by the saints of God. Notice Paul said in Acts 24.14 that what you all are calling heresy, these are things that were written in the law and in the prophets. The doctrine of the resurrection, it was written in the law and in the prophets. Paul did not reveal the rapture or the resurrection. Paul only revealed the mystery of the changed body. Because in the Old Testament, they did not understand how the resurrection was going to work, even though they believed it. And let me show you that. Job chapter 19. This is, they will say, this was the oldest book in the Bible. This was written before the time of Moses. Genesis through Deuteronomy was written. This event is, or this book is the oldest book in the Bible. 
And it says in Job 19.23, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He shall stand. And wait, oh, they didn't know about the cross back then. I know that my Redeemer liveth. So that doesn't imply death, burial, and resurrection. Well, it kind of does. Seeing that we are redeemed by His blood, we are redeemed by His death, and He didn't stay dead, He lives. Why did He need to specify that He lives? You know why? Because for Him to redeem us, He has to die. It's almost as if Job knew that. Uh, well, you don't know everything Job know. No, I don't. But you know what He did know? His Redeemer lived. He, he knew that. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin... Worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall be see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job, he understood. They, they knew that you put a body in the ground, the worms get to it. It gets destroyed. But he also knew that he was going to stand in the latter day upon the earth. That he was going to see his Redeemer with his own eyes. He knew that he was going to rise again. He didn't know how it was going to work, but he knew he was going to rise again from the dead one of these days. Now, today, we understand, because we have 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul explains that, and we'll look at some of that here in a little bit, but Job believed in a resurrection of the dead. Psalms spoke of the resurrection. Psalm 71.20 Thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles shall quicken me again, and shalt bring me up from the depths of the earth. That's a reference to a resurrection there. Isaiah believed in a resurrection. Isaiah 26, 19. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Isaiah spoke of the resurrection. Ezekiel believed in a resurrection. Ezekiel 37.11 Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Now many people today are teaching that this already happened in 1948 when Israel went back to the land. No. That absolutely is not the case at all. He's talking about bringing them up out of their graves and restoring the land. Why is he doing that? You know why? Because God made some promises to men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about the land and he is going to fulfill that with them one of these days, with those who are of faith. How is God going to keep his promises to Israel? They're, they're dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they died. How is God going to keep his promises to Israel? Well, not through an unbelieving ethnicity. You know what he's going to do? It's He's going to resurrect them from the dead. And we're going to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. You know why? Because God's going to raise them from the dead. So, well, so did this happen in 1948 or is this going to happen in the future? Here's when it happens. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. You know when this is going to happen? You know when Ezekiel 37 is fulfilled? At the resurrection. I mean, is it not getting any clear? It's when your graves opened up. I think it's symbolic of 1948. The UN caused the resurrection. No, we didn't. God's going to put them in the land. How are we going to know? Are you sure God's not putting them in the land right now? Well, did their graves open up? Is Abraham there? 
No, this has not happened yet, ladies and gentlemen. This has not happened yet. It's going to happen in the future. Ezekiel believed in a resurrection. Daniel spoke of the resurrection. Daniel 12.1 And at that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince. Anybody know who Michael is? The archangel. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Oh, don't you dare connect this to 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 mentioned the archangel. Stand up right here. Names of Michael shall stand up. The great prince would stand for the children of thy people. There should be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Same time. And at that time shall thy people be delivered. Everyone that should be found written in the book. There's going to be a deliverance for God's people during this time of trouble. Those who are written in the book. Not those names who David said, let their names be blotted out of the book of the living. Those who crucified Christ, David prophesied of. We're not going to take time to go there. It says, and many of them shall sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many into righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, that's not our resurrection. Yes, it is. Remember what Paul said too? He says, uh, when he explained, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to explain that changed body. We're going to made like, we're going to be made like Christ. He is going to come in power and great glory. He's going to be shining like the brightness of the firmament. And you know what? We are too. When that day comes, when we see him, this is without a doubt is the resurrection spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4. The Old Testament martyrs believed in the resurrection. This is not a New Testament doctrine we're talking about. This is Bible doctrine. This is what believers have always believed. Hebrews 11.35 says, Women received their dead men, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You know why they didn't take deliverance? Because they knew this isn't it. There's another day coming. There's a resurrection coming. I want to have a better resurrection. And so they did not accept the deliverance. They didn't accept it. So, the resurrection has always been believed. It's a foundational doctrine. And do not believe the dispensational lie that this event, this resurrection that we're waiting for, that they want to insist on calling the rapture, is like some separate thing they didn't know about. No, it's the same event. The event of 1 Thessalonians 4 is the event that was spoken of and believed by those in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints have not been resurrected yet, ladies and gentlemen. They have not been resurrected. At the crucifixion of Christ, there were many graves that were opened. But at the same time, that was just in the area within earshot of Christ when He said, it is finished. It caused an earthquake and many of the graves opened and the veil of the temple was rent and the soldiers saw all of those things. The soldiers saw it because it was something specifically that happened in that location. But Peter, a short time later, spoke of Christ, how his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption, speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And even though he was quoting David, he mentioned David is still, his tomb is here, he's buried still to this day. David was still in the grave. David is still in the grave today. The graves have not been opened. Why? There's one resurrection for the just. That's what we see in the Scriptures. And so, uh, Hebrews 11:17, we see Abraham also believed in the resurrection. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God 
was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham knew God could raise Isaac from the dead because Abraham knew what God was going to do someday when it came to the resurrection. All of the Old Testament saints believed in a resurrection of the dead. And you know what though? Just like there's always been those who believed in a literal resurrection of the dead, there have always been those who have denied a literal resurrection of the dead. In Matthew 22, 23, says the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed to his brother. And they came with this gotcha question. And this was something that, while it perplexed the Pharisees, because they erred not knowing the Scriptures, and they didn't understand that in heaven they neither marry or are given in marriage. So, that, you know, the Sadducees thought this was a gotcha question that proved there's no resurrection of the dead, but that was just wrong. That was a lie. They were wrong. The Sadducees were bad. And guess what? The Pharisees were still bad, even though they believed in a resurrection. And so, in 2 Timothy 2.16, even in the early church, there were those who came in who denied a literal resurrection of the dead. And it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will lead us to the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying, The resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And to claim that the resurrection is past is to make the resurrection not a literal event. Okay, folks, you cannot claim a, a resurrection of the dead happen when you believe that it is literally people coming out of their graves, which is what we believe. We believe that the resurre- our resurrection is just as literal as the resurrection of Christ. You cannot be a Christian and deny a literal resurrection of Christ. You cannot do it. And even some of the full preterists that are out there, they will affirm a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they do not affirm a literal resurrection of the believers because they claim the resurrection happened in 70 AD. And even they don't claim it was a physical resurrection because there is no way to act like a physical resurrection from the dead you know, on a mass scale ever happened. You, what you have to do is you have to make it not literal. You have to make it something symbolic, figurative, or spiritual. That is not what I'm talking about today, ladies and gentlemen. At Liberty Baptist Church, we believe in a literal resurrection of the dead. We believe the people that have been a part of our church who were saved, that we have put in graves, we believe one of these days they're going to come out of their, those graves. And thankfully, Paul clarified some things for us, and it's not, they're not going to look like zombies. They're going to look a lot better when they come out of that grave. They're, they're going to look a lot better when they come out of there. And let me tell you something too. I believe too that one of the reasons culturally we have had burials is because of a belief in a resurrection. Now, thank God, God can raise ashes too. Okay? If God made man from the dust of the earth, I, I don't think cremated people are exempt from the resurrection. I think they're coming back too. Okay, But at the same time, you know, I, I, I prefer... You know, I, I prefer to be buried. You know, I, that, that's what I prefer for myself because I'm not planning on staying dead. And I want to be, I want a public testimony of that, that I'm not planning on staying in that grave. It's a temporary resting place. And so the resurrection of the dead is just as literal as the resurrection 
of Christ. Now, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to try to briefly hit some of these things because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter in the Bible. It's a long chapter. I've preached through this chapter before. But this is a very key passage. And so I want to try to just... uh, We don't want to twist Paul's words and change the subject to preserve our theology. Let's just look at what Paul said. And can can we not do that? Can we just take the words of Paul and just accept it for what it says. You know, I, I, we shouldn't have to twist people's arms to get them to do that. But often, again, what Paul says messes with a lot of people's theology, and so they try to change things. But first off, he starts out saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, sadly, people will take that phrase there, and say, well, you know, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't guarantee you salvation because you could believe in vain. And how do you know you didn't believe in vain? Well, here's the question. What does it mean to believe in vain? Okay, If we're going to use Paul's words to cast doubt on someone's salvation, let's use those words the way Paul used it. Here's what it means to believe in vain. He goes on to say, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Basically, here's what it means to believe in vain. To believe on, in Christ or to believe in a Gospel without the resurrection. That's what it means to believe in vain. If somebody says, I believe Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins, but they deny that He rose again, they're not saved. You have to believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ And without a doubt, he's talking about a literal resurrection. And let me tell you, Christians forever, if anybody ever has come along, and and there have, there's been the Gnostics and people from the past who have talked about the resurrection like it was a figurative thing that took place. That is heresy. You are not a Christian if you do not believe Jesus literally rose from the dead on the third day. You're not a Christian if you don't believe that. You are not saved if you deny a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to believe in vain, it's not that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but maybe you didn't meet it enough, or you know, maybe you had some doubts, or you didn't repent of all your sins or something. No, it just means you believed in a gospel without the resurrection. And that's not what Paul preached. Paul said, I preached what I received. And I received a gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on and he gives proof of the resurrection. We're not going to read through all of it, but he mentions all the eyewitnesses. I mean, he was seen of over a, a 500 brethren at one time. When you have, listen, every word should be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. We have way more witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. We have so much historical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. I mean, 500 brethren at one time saw him. And Paul said, and many of them are still alive, but many of them sleep. Some of them had died at this point. But a lot of these people were still living when Paul wrote this that all saw the resurrected Jesus. So for somebody to deny the resurrection of Christ, that is a great heresy. They're not saved. So look at what it says. Let's jump to verse 12. It says, now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. That's what we've been talking about. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is referring to the physical resurrection 
of all those who have been put into the graves. And Paul is saying, how if, if we're preaching Christ has risen, how can there be some among you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? Like your full preterists out there who deny that literal resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Paul made these a package deal. I am not quick to declare people unsaved who have a doctrinal difference with me. But I will declare them unsaved if the Bible is very, it spells it out for us that if somebody doesn't believe this, they're not saved. And so when somebody says there is no resurrection of the dead, meaning we're not literally rising from the dead one of these days, I submit to you that those people are not saved. Because Paul said the, re- the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection is one doctrine. Why is that? Because that's how we know we have eternal life. We are going to die, but we understand we're going to rise again because Jesus rose again. That was the point of Him rising from the dead. Proving that He has the power to raise us from the dead. Not just spiritually, but physically as well. It's one doctrine. You cannot split those things up and make them two different doctrines and and make the one a secondary issue. No, this is a very important issue. This is necessary. You have to believe in both. So it says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. If the dead don't rise, Jesus didn't rise. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If, if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, those who are asleep in Christ are in hell right now. That's what he's telling them. It's all one doctrine. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And that's why when we've had conversations around here about the preterists and some of the things that they teach and the denial of a literal return of Christ and a literal kingdom and all these things, we're always like, this is, that's really depressing. You know Why? Because if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. This is it? This is the new heaven and the new earth? Really? This stinks! We have, really? Biden is president in the new heaven and the new earth? I mean, we, we've got sodomites all over the place. Trannies. And there, there was an article just published this week of a Baptist pastor. Do you see that? The Baptist pastor who had a, a, a hobby on the internet where he pretended he was a woman. And he got busted. And you know what? He killed himself after that. And, I mean, folks, this can't be the new heaven and the new earth. When you got Baptist preachers doing stuff like that, walking the face, not walking anymore. Amen. But, you know, folks, that's horrible. This, I mean, folks, look at the stuff going on in the Middle East right now, the stuff going on in our own country. This can't be the new heaven and the new earth. I agree with Paul. If these preterists are right, we are of all men most miserable. But is that the message of the Bible? Is that the message of the Apostle Paul? No. Without a doubt, these things are literal. You cannot separate the resurrection of Christ from our resurrection. It is all, it is all one doctrine. It goes together. And so Paul shows how these things are inseparable. Let's jump to verse 35. I wish we had time to go through all of 1 Corinthians Chapter 15. But it says, But some man will say, 
How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I know there's going to be some smart aleck out there when we're talking about the resurrection. What kind of body do they come up with? Is it going to look like the Night of the Living Dead or Walking Dead or one of these zombie movies? Really, that's the resurrection? The zombie, you know, the zombie apocalypse like on every movie? With what body do they come? And I love his response. Thou fool! Hey, you've been watching too much TV. Hey, this resurrection of the dead that's going to happen. You say, oh, they didn't have TV back then. Well, people told stories back then. They told stories. I'll bet they had zombie stories back then. I, I guarantee it. Folks, look at the stories of the Greek gods and all the stuff they had. They told stories back in those days. Hey, so somebody had told a Night of the Living Dead story. Some smart aleck, Comic-Con type guy was there in the crowd and, you know, thinking, you know, you know, wondering what, if it was going to look like one of the plays that he saw. You know, and, and that, that, that's what I believe. But Paul called him a fool. And, and, I, and, you know, and personally when I read this too, I get a little convicted because it's like, I wouldn't really know what kind of body we came back with if it weren't for this chapter right here. You know, this chapter helps. I mean, obviously God's not going to raise us up like a zombie. But again, Job didn't understand it. He's talking about the corruption of his body and the worms. But he's like, he's like, but my eye shall behold him, even though my reins be consumed within me. He didn't understand it, but he believed it. Hey, we understand a little bit more now because of this passage we're about to read. But he said, but God giveth, or he said, I'm sorry, verse uh, 36, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, that it may chance of wheat or of some other growth. But God gave it a body that has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So he's just saying, just like when you put a seed into the ground, what comes up out of there, it's not just, a, it's not just another seed. It's something far more glorious. An entire tree comes up from it. But it says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another star, glory of the stars, for one star to earth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That's this right here. Okay? This body has to be put into a grave. You know why? Because it is corruptible. If you keep it out of the grave, it's going to rot, it's going to stink, it's going to be disgusting. You have to put people in a grave. And if you don't, there's something very wrong. They made a movie about a guy a long time ago who didn't want to put his mom in the grave and they called it Psycho. Because that's weird to do that. We have, No matter how much you love the person, you have to put him in the grave because it's a corruptible body. And so, that, so that, that's what he's explaining right here. It's sown in corruption. And so when you put that body into the ground, it's like when you put a seed into the ground. You're sowing that seed and it's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. When we come back, it's not going to be like this body. It's not going to be like the body that Lazarus came back in that was able to die again. You know, all the, everybody that was raised before from the dead, they all died again because they were not raised like Christ. They were not raised in a glorified way. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. 
And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The last Adam is Jesus. It says, Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The natural body always comes first. Adam came first, then Jesus. This comes first, afterwards the spiritual body. That comes at the resurrection. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is Lord from heaven. And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they that are also heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Okay? We're not going into heaven like this, folks. We're not going into heaven like this. Okay? Say, well, what if we are still alive when Christ returns? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Folks, there is no way to just make this into some figurative thing. This could not be any more literal what he's describing right here. We are going to be changed. We're going to be raised for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought the pass of saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And folks, doing the work of the Lord, it might not end in any earthly rewards. It might even end with an early death for us. But this isn't all that there is because a resurrection day is coming. This mortal is going to put on immortality one of these days. And so the resurrection of the saints is the event that people call the rapture. There's no doubt about that. There's absolutely no doubt about it. You say, well, why is everybody always talking about the rapture and not the resurrection? There's one good reason. The one good reason is because what a wonderful thought that we might not have to die. What a wonderful thought that we might not have to see death, that Christ could come back before we have to go and face death. I'm not looking forward to dying. I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm not looking forward to the process to getting there. I hope it's quick, I hope it's, and I hope it's far away. But at the same time, we don't get to just pick how we're going to die, typically. And, and, but either way, I believe it, it's, it, you know, these, this resurrection or the rapture is what we all hope that we will live to see. But do you all realize that a vast majority of people who experience that great day are going to experience it from the vantage point of a cemetery, of a grave? They're going to be dead. It's a tiny minority that are going to be alive and remain. Yet, we have turned all eschatology, the focus, simply on that event of the rapture. And we call it the rapture. But the reality is, it is, it is the resurrection. But nobody wants to call it that because if we did, we're going to start looking at too many passages that talk about the resurrection and it's going to mess with some beloved timelines that people have. Because if, if we do, if we start talking about the resurrection, we might start talking a little too much about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That everyone agrees is the rapture, but in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We better not look that up. Well, we're going to look it up. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it, and it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. And He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. That's the passage right there. When we put on incorruption, when our body is changed, Isaiah 25, 8 and 9, that is when death is swallowed up in victory and where Christ wipes tears from our faces. That's what that says right there. In Revelation 7, this is why people don't want us connecting these verses. Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Isaiah 25, now we have people waiting for salvation. In Revelation 7, we have people praising God for His salvation that appear from all over the world, from every kindred and tongue. And, it's, and we'll jump down to verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in, arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's the event right there. That's, that is connected to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is the resurrection from the dead or the resurrection of the saints. That is what people today call the rapture. That is what we see in Revelation 7, 1 Corinthians 15, Isaiah 25, Without a doubt, it's all connected. So, well, you know, I think there's phases. I think there's divisions. Well, yes, there's one. We have the resurrection of the just that happens at one time and the resurrection of the unjust at another time. And the Bible spells that out for us. When you look at the Old Testament, you can't really tell the time difference. But we do have a place in the Bible, not where a theologian tells us that there's a difference, not where a chart that somebody wrote up shows a difference, no, where the Scriptures describes a difference and even gives a timeline. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. Right here's why they don't want you calling it the resurrection. This is why in the pre-trib and the dispensational world, they don't ever call it the resurrection. They, they, they want to call it the rapture. So that's not a Bible word. If we take rapture, we can define it however we want. But if we do resurrection, then we should probably define, let the Bible define that word for us. But if we do that, we're probably going to connect Revelation 20 to that event. And that creates a lot of problems for some beloved timelines. And it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast. Now, let me ask you, if they were beheaded, do you think they died? Yeah. Beheading typically kills people, right? Okay, 
So this is talking about specifically to people that were beheaded, that had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. So they got beheaded for not worshipping the beast. Do we think this is after the mark of the beast? Yeah, this is after the mark of the beast. Neither see his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. How do people live who get their heads cut off? It's called a resurrection. Okay, it's called a resurrection. But then here's where we see the separation. He goes on to say, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is the one where those who didn't take the mark, who had their heads cut off, rise again. That's the first resurrection. But the rest of the dead live not until the thousand years are finished. That's when we have the, there's the separation. That is the resurrection of the unjust. And look what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Those who have part in the first resurrection are holy. You know why? Because it's believers. It's because they are just. Our justification didn't come from our works. It came from the blood of Jesus Christ. From whose, and so, uh, on such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Jump to verse 11. So what about the rest of the dead? What about those who rise after the thousand years? That's the resurrection of the unjust. This is what happens to them. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to his works. Guess what's going to happen to everyone who gets judged according to their works? And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what happens to those who are judged by their works. That's why, folks, you don't want to get judged by your works. You will get thrown into hell so fast it won't even be funny. Those who are going to be... uh, Go to heaven are those who are judged by the works of Christ, which is why you have to believe on Christ. And so while the resurrection of the just, which is what we've mostly been talking about, is an exciting doctrine, the resurrection of the unjust is a terrifying doctrine. It's not pleasant. It's, it's, it's not good. But folks, as unpleasant as what we're going to talk about as, as next week's subject is going to be, it's reality. Sometimes we have to talk about unpleasant things. But you know what? It's that unpleasant fact that motivates us to go out and tell people how they can escape this. Because they can escape it. And they can escape it very easily if they will just believe on Christ. And so, the, re- so the thing is, when it comes to these multiple resurrections of the just, you can't find that spelled out in the Scriptures. People assume that based on the assumption that they are right and how they think the millennium is going to be that they're assuming they're right on their eschatological timelines. We do The only division we see in the resurrection is between the just and the unjust. We see a thousand year difference right there. That's clear. But we don't see multiple resurrections of the just. And so, you know, and if you come to me, it's like, well, you know, what does that mean when it comes to this and this? You know, maybe, maybe we don't know as much as we think we do about stuff like the millennium and, and those things. I'm just saying the Bible shows 
a first resurrection, and it happens after the mark of the beast, and it shows a resurrection after the millennium. That's what the Bible shows us. And we don't just get to insert extra things in there that the Bible doesn't explain just to help a timeline out. And And the truth is, when you have beliefs like our church does, these don't really create any problems for us. It actually lines up perfectly. So, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, very important foundational thing. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the promises of your word, Lord. I'm I'm excited and thankful to know that if something were to happen to me, Lord, I'm not going to stay dead. You're coming back one of these days. And I pray, Lord, you'll help everyone here to live more for the, the next life than they are for this life. Help us to just realize just how worthless and corruptible all these things of this earth are they are all going to burn one of these days help us to get focused on the eternal help us to stay focused on souls and uh, living for you and pleasing you in your name we pray amen